So as we think about this reading and think about the cost of discipleship, we're going to start by thinking about choices. And I'm going to give you a number of choices, and I want you to keep track of whether you're choosing A or B. Okay, so on your right hand, uh, put a finger down for each time you choose A, and on your left hand, put a finger down for each time you choose B. And if you don't want to make the choice at all, then don't put any fingers down. Okay, that clear? Good. So, A, you want to wear red. Or B, you want to wear blue. A, you choose to travel on the bus every day. Or B, you choose not to travel on the bus every day. A, you pay for phone calls on a contract. Or B, you pay for your phone calls on a pay-as-you-go basis. A, you drink coffee. Or B, you drink tea. This one is specially for Mark. A, you support Manchester City. Or B, you support Arsenal. Put your hands up if you had more A's than B's. And put your hands up if you had more B's than A's. (laughs) Great. Now, in a sense, none of those choices really matter, do they? (laughs) In the scale of life, they're not really that important. But here are a few choices that are a bit more important. I'm not going to ask you uh, how many A's and B's you've got for these, but these are just for you to think about on your own. So track them again with your fingers. A, you choose to keep your promise to a friend to go out on Friday night. B, you break your promise because you've had a better offer. (laughs) A, You set your alarm 15 minutes earlier than usual in order to spend some time with God praying before you start your day. B, you set your alarm for the latest possible time in order to have as much time in bed as possible. And then the last one. A, when someone asks you if you're a Christian... You lie and pretend you're not. Or B, when someone asks you if you're a Christian, you say, yes, you are, and you explain why. Now, those choices are a bit more challenging, aren't they? Which is why I'm not going to ask you what you chose. But it's those second sorts of choices that Jesus is helping us to think about when he's speaking about the cost of discipleship. Because that's what he's doing in the passage that we had read today. And he's talking to vast crowds uh, who are following him. He's talking to those who are thinking about having a relationship. And he's making it plain to them what it might cost to be his disciples because he doesn't want them thinking that just being familiar with him is all that's involved in walking with him. He doesn't want them thinking 
that being physically close to him is all that's involved in following him. And so he's showing that to truly be his disciples, to walk with him every day, means making choices. And he points to three areas of our lives. He points to our relationships. He points to the choices we make about the way we live. And lastly, he points to our attitudes to what we have. And to help us to understand all of that, he gives us two very short little parables. The parable of the tower and the parable of the king. So let's start by thinking about our relationships. The first area of our lives where we have to think about what it means to be Jesus' disciple. Now, the version of the Bible that uh, we use here in church, the NRSV, puts that choice in a very black and white way, doesn't it? Jesus says, uh, to be my disciple, you have to hate your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, your friends. He's putting that in a very, very graphic way. But he doesn't mean that we literally have to hate those who are our nearest and dearest. What he's doing is uh, using a way of speaking that they often used in his culture of painting graphic contrasts. His culture and uh, the Jewish religion didn't have the sort of grey areas that we had. There was no British niceness or like about their culture. Often they would paint life in these graphic black and white ways. So light and darkness all hate and love. And that's what Jesus is doing here. There's another translation of the Bible, the contemporary English version, that puts that verse like this, verse 26. You cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than you love your father and mother, your wife and children and your brothers and sisters. You cannot come with me unless you love me more than you love your own life. Now that's a much easier way of understanding, isn't it, what Jesus is encouraging us to do. He's not encouraging us literally to hate our family and friends. What he's saying to us is that the cost of being his disciple in our relationships is actually he comes before all of our most important social relationships. Because we know that our social relationships, our family, our friends, those are the the strongest social bonds we can have as human beings. And yet we know that with the best will in the world, sometimes our family and friends will hurt us or reject us or betray us. But what Jesus is saying here is that if we are truly his disciples then he will never reject us or betray us. Our love for him is, comes first in our lives. 
Now, some of you who've been here for a while will probably have heard this story before, so apologies if you have heard this story. But as I was thinking um, about this, I was reminded of uh, the time when I told my dad that I was going to marry Steve and he was going to be ordained uh, and was going to be a, a priest in the Church of England. And my dad sat me down and said, can't you tell him to give that up? Can't you persuade him to go back to teaching maths? Because you'll be much better off if you do that. If he's ordained, you'll just be living in poverty your whole lives. Can you not persuade him to give up the idea of being ordained? Now, I loved my dad dearly, but my dad uh, wasn't a Christian, and he didn't understand what it meant to Uh, put God first and to want to obey what God wants us to do. So I had to say to him, no, Dad, I can't do that because God is calling Steve to be ordained and he wants me to marry Steve. So therefore, this is what we're going to do. We have to put God first and this is what we're going to do. And we're going to trust God to provide what we need. The next day, my dad apologized to me for saying that. And it was the only time in his life that my dad ever apologized to me for anything at all. But actually at the time, I was A, very angry with him for saying it to me, uh, and then B, very sad that I had to say to him, no dad, I can't do that. We have to do what God wants us to do. I say that's just one example of how sometimes It might be, if we're truly Jesus' disciples, that what he wants us to do has to come before what our family might want us to do. If what they want us to do takes us away from following Jesus. And then in verse 26, Jesus goes on to give us a challenge about the way we live. And this is the second area of our lives where we have to make a choice about the cost of being Jesus' disciples. Jesus says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now these sound like tough words, and uh, the people following Jesus would have heard them as tough words as well, because they understood that the cross was uh, the cruelest punishment in that society for wrongdoing. It was a very common way of punishing criminals. And so those listening to Jesus would have understood that that was a really uncomfortable picture, to carry the cross. But Jesus was telling the people that if they truly wanted to follow him, they would have to do so through all the daily trials of life. And that through those trials, they would learn what it meant to follow him with steadfastness and loyalty. And so he goes on to tell them two stories, which we'll think about in a moment, about the cost of doing that. Let's think about uh, the first little parable that he tells us about the cost of building a tower. When we hear this short parable, we might immediately picture Uh, Something like one, uh, an important English castle with its round tower and uh, its walls that can't be broached. That's the picture that we might have in our mind of a fortress or a, a city wall. 
But the way that Luke uses tower here can also mean just a watchtower. So the sort of wooden structure that a farmer might build to guard his crops, to guard his vineyard. But whatever sort of tower it was, it required the builder to dig really, really deeply to build a solid foundation on bedrock. And uh, he's saying that anyone who starts such a project but doesn't have the stamina to finish it, to see it through to the end, will be laughed at by their neighbours. And in that honour and shame culture, as we were thinking about last week, that would have been a big deal. So to start something and not finish it would have been really, really humiliating. Now, the sort of structure that Jesus is talking about doesn't really matter. Uh, What matters is that uh, he was saying that um, the cross, taking up the cross, following him, uh, was not, in some ways, was not a sensible thing to do, that it was a costly thing to do. And the person who started to follow him without counting the cost is like the person who starts to build a tower and then can't finish it because they don't have enough money. And that example of uh, starting a project without knowing if you can afford to finish it is an example that we understand today, isn't it? I mean, how many of us have done building projects at home or maybe... uh, had our kitchens renovated and it's turned out to cost more than we thought. It's a common example that we can understand today. Here's an example from something that I've been doing. This is a blanket that I've been crocheting. And I saw this pattern and this wool and I really, really liked it. And uh, you could get all of the wool for the blanket in one bag for £26. And I thought, that's a really good deal. So I bought the wool and I downloaded the, uh, the pattern and I started work on the blanket and this is how far I've got so far. But I made a crucial mistake. I started to use a crochet hook bigger than the pattern suggested, not realising that if I did that, it would use up a lot more wool than I had bought. And so as I've been working on this blanket uh, and I don't think Steve's cottoned on to this yet, so if you see him, don't tell him. (laughs) But gradually, I've been having to buy more and more wool in order to finish this blanket. So this blanket, which started out as a really reasonable thing to do at the cost of £26, is gradually becoming more and more expensive. Now, that's a prize example of exactly the point that Jesus is making about counting the cost. So that's the first picture, about counting the cost. Because if we start to be his disciples without counting the cost, and we find the cost too much and give up, then we're going to be like the man who started building the tower and gave up. And then the second picture is this, of the king who's thinking about going to war with 10,000 men. But his enemy has 20,000 men. So Jesus says, what king would do that without working out whether he's strong enough to defeat the enemy? And if he isn't, actually sets up a peace treaty instead. Now again, that's a, a really easy little parable that we can understand, isn't it? So that's 
uh, the second picture, the way we live, cost, counting the cost of what it might mean for us to carry the cross daily. And we'll think a little bit more about that in a moment. And then the third area that Jesus speaks about, right at the very end of our reading, is our attitudes to what we have. Our, the third and last area, where we have to make choices about the cost of being Jesus' disciples. Jesus says, So therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you don't give up all your possessions. And we know from the Gospels that some of his disciples did just that. Remember when he called Peter, James and John, the fishermen, they left their nets and their families and they followed Jesus when he called them. And earlier in the summer, we were thinking about Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sent out uh, 72 of his disciples to share the good news of his kingdom. But he told them only to take the one shirt and uh, the bag that they had. So what Jesus is doing here is to say that uh, if we are going to be his disciples, part of the cost to that will be to have a radical attitude to our possessions, to what we have. And it's an attitude that for us runs completely against uh, the flow of our culture, our society. Have a little look at this. I'm being held by an invisible force. New formula L'Oreal Elnet. This is no ordinary hairspray. For me, Elnet is the finest spray you can find. Here comes the science. Elnet's unique microdiffuser sprays microfine. I can hardly see it or feel it, but I know it's there controlling my hair until I brush it through. Trust your hair to an invisible force. New formula L'Oreal Elnet. Because I'm worth it. If we had to think of one strap line that summed up our culture, that would be it, wouldn't it? We receive that message from advertising, from the media, in all sorts of ways, that actually we are the ones that come first because we are worth it. Whether it's a hairspray or trainers or new cars or whatever it might be, we come first because we are worth it. But Jesus is turning that completely upside down and saying it's not about us. It's about him. And so we hold what we have lightly. We use what we have to bless others. We may not give up all of our possessions in the way that Jesus was saying, but we hold lightly to what we do have so that we can bless others. We can put Jesus first. Because as Christians, what we believe is that it's not all about us. It's actually all about Jesus. And we pay that cost gladly because Jesus is worth it. The peace, the strength we have from being his disciples is worth holding on lightly to all that we have and using what we have to bless others. I said we'd think about what might be the costs for us of being disciples of Jesus today. And we thought a little bit about holding on lightly to all that we have. Are there other ways in which it might cost us particular things to be Jesus' disciples today.
Can anybody think of any examples where God has challenged them about being his disciples? Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you, Carol. Offering to help someone, even though you might be rejected, that might be a cost for us, mightn't it? Anything, any other examples that we can think of? Andre? Say that again. Consider our... Re- our pr- reconsider our priorities. Yes, thank you. Yeah, reconsidering our priorities... Uh, And our priorities as Christians might be very different to the world's priorities. So we might want to delay having a new car in order to give something to somebody else. Reconsidering our priorities. We might want to reconsider the way we use our time in order to give to others. So Jesus' words are quite challenging. If we're truly going to be his disciples... There's going to be a cost in terms of our relationships, of putting him first. There's going to be a cost to us in terms of the way that we live, carrying our cross daily, seeing through the trials and challenges that life throws at us. And there's going to be a cost in our attitudes to what we have, holding on to what we have lightly, rather than clinging on to it for all that we're worth. I found a lovely prayer which sums up what it means to be his disciples. So let's end with that. And uh, as I read this for us, maybe you can think about uh, what it is that God's calling you to do as you are his disciple. Good and gracious God, your son, Jesus Christ, invites all people to follow him and become his disciples. Touch our hearts, enlighten our minds, and stir our spirit. Help us daily to take up our cross and follow him by living his word and proclaiming his good news to those around us. May our faith in you increase May our hunger for the gospel intensify and may our community here be strengthened as we learn to love one another as he has loved us. For this we pray. Amen.